This is Mate, a podcast about marketing, advertising, technology, and entrepreneurship. I'm the creator and host, Adam Jaffrey, and I'm a digital strategist and entrepreneur. You're listening to episode number eight. Today, we have a very special guest joining us. His name is Tommy McCubbin, and he's the host of the popular Australian technology podcast, Future Sandwich, which if you're not already listening to, you should go and subscribe now. Tommy describes himself as an advertising creative director, dad, and podcaster. And today we talk about what's getting him really excited about technology. He makes some radical predictions about the future of the advertising industry. And we talk about some of his startups, those which succeeded, those which failed, and why. Very excited to speak to Tommy. So let's go and talk to him. Who are you and what do you do? So my name is Tommy McCubbin. I am... 35. Uh, I live in Melbourne. I've got two little boys and I'm married. Uh, and that's kind of the centre of my world. Outside of that, I, uh, for a crust, I work for an ad agency, an advertising agency, if that's the best way to describe it. I don't think it is, but um, I'm a creative director. I have got a real fascination with technology, the impact that's having on us. So I'm trying to explore as much of that front line as I can. Um, I make a podcast called Future Sandwich, which explores future trends and talks to people making the future happen today, as well as I work really closely in the startup community with a number of interesting businesses who are essentially on the forefront of doing stuff like it hasn't been done before. I'm really curious. You, you're the first guest of mine who is, uh, has led their introduction um, with, with family. Why is that? I think it's like the the one constant um, and the one it's really like to get really deep really quickly. I think <laughs> it's the only thing that ultimately matters. Yeah. Do you know? I think that there's a, I'm not sure where I got it from, but an anecdote of who are the people that are going to be next to you on your deathbed, do you know? And it's going to be, you know, God forbid, it's a horrible picture, but it's not going to be my work friends, mm. put it that way. Um, and so... Family is where I get sort of the most fulfillment and the most kind of uh, reward. Um, and I think uh, I'm, I'm lucky. I've got a very happy, healthy family, which I'm incredibly proud of. And um, that by far and above is the, is, is the number one in my world. Hmm. So start there. It makes sense. That's great. I love it. I love it. Uh, it, it shows uh, what you, you really value. So you have a very long list of, uh, of things that you're doing, Tommy. How do you... <laughs> How do you fit it all in? Um, well, I, I, I fit it all in because I'm, I think I'm a decent um, planner, but I think also the stuff that I do fit in is stuff that I enjoy doing. Not much of that stuff that I do is a chore. A lot of it is really fun. So in my downtime, I'm actually being quite productive on that list of stuff. Um, and that's, you know, uh, I would... Um, rather sit there and sketch out a new product than kind of sit in front of five episodes of Suits. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's kind of a reflection on when you have something you really enjoy doing, um, you just find the time to do it because you just lean forward into it and, and that's what you do. Yeah. I'm a list guy as well. I'm, I've got a daily ritual of writing the list and that I find is a, is a secret source to getting shit done. Are you a... Uh... Are you a handwritten list guy? Like, yeah. what's your what's your workflow? Uh, I have a combination. I have 
I use AnyDo as my list on the app, which I think is um, awesome. I've been sort of everywhere in the whole reminders mm. ecosystem. Have you tried um, OmniFocus? No. So I don't know if you had a listen to, uh, I think it's episode four of, uh, of Mate. Um, we had Lee Price, who yeah. you may have actually worked with um, on, on the podcast, and he was talking, he, he just got on board uh, this, this to-do uh, app called OmniFocus, um, and I'm just trying it out at the moment. It, it, it's really cool. Um, it's, it's about $60, I think, to buy, so it's, it's a little bit pricey, but it's like super powerful. Like you can set up all these weird workflows. You can have um, what they call contexts, so it only shows you the, the tasks that you can do in a particular context. So you might have a, a work context or a home context or an out and about context, um, and it will only show you the things you can do in those situations. It's really cool. Wow. Just like you think the list is pretty simple, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've been using it, but I, I still feel like uh, the, the written list is in some way... Um, it's almost like calming for me. Like I'm able to like get what's in my head out uh, yeah. and, and that's actually quite important for me because I yeah. feel like it's all bouncing around. I get very stressed out if it's if, if there's things that I feel like I'm, I haven't like recorded somewhere. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you uh, a, about a couple of things that sure. you, you touched on in your intro there. Um, firstly, you talked about working in an ad agency or an advertising agency and how that is maybe not a great way to describe what you do. What do you mean by that? I think I like I hate ads. Like with a, well, sitting through an ad break <laughs> is something I avoid at all costs. I'll be uh, I'll be watching a medium show on the ABC when I know there's a better show on Channel Ten just purely because the ad breaks great <laughs> on me. So. When I come to work and we're tasked with making ads, it's great to have that at my core to say, look, let's make something which doesn't feel like an ad. Mm. Let's make something which doesn't resemble a commercial. What can we do which creates great value for our clients, customers or potential customers? And quite often it is a new product or it's a film which people choose to see as opposed to us cramming into... um, and interrupting their favourite TV show in a 30-second module. I think um, what we do here, which is great, is we we make platforms and uh, products instead of campaigns or like one 30-second film, which we repeat two and a half thousand times over a two-month period mm-hmm. and expect people to still be entertained after that three months. Mm-hmm. I think that there's a lot of legacy which um, is dying a very slow death um, in traditional advertising, mm. certainly, um, the certainly from a media perspective, I mean, and then from a journalist perspective as well. Yeah. So, what does a what does a creative director do? A creative director, I think, has a plan and a vision, and has the ability to communicate that plan and that vision to the creative team. Um, and then basically drive great work from the junior team right through to the senior teams that sort of match up to that vision and that plan. Mm-hmm. And then you're tasked with articulating it, um, the ideas in, in a way which you can share it with anyone in an elevator and they get it. Yeah. Which is making something simple is 
is really difficult, one of the most difficult parts of the job. Um, but I still am on the tools quite a lot. Certainly, I love the sort of the, the vibe around pitches. I think that if you ever worked in agency land, you'd understand when a pitch comes in, it's everyone um, gets a bit manic and you're, you're doing long nights and long days. But you can sort of come out of it as the uh, worst of times and the best of times. And I think that that's, that's another great part about being a creative director is you kind of lead really talented people into hard work, which is hugely rewarding at the end of the day. It's fun work. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I've always been really fascinated by this term creative um, that, I mean, I've got an advertising background as well. And we, for some reason, we, we call the work, inverted quotes here, creative. Why, why do you think that is? Like, it's, it's kind of weird. Yeah. Um, I think like, uh, like everyone has permission to be creative. Like a planner is creative. A front-end developer is creative. A back-end developer is creative. They're all creatives. Um, and I think that we're loosening that term here at the agency. Mm. Uh, we work closely with a number of departments which all fit into the creative department. I think that uh, it's a legacy from the old world where the client would meet with the suit, the suit would get a download on everything, give that to the planner, the planner would turn that into a sharp insight, that sharp insight would be then given to a team to come up with an idea and then that idea would be rolled out into a campaign. Yep. But, so if you look at that as like a workflow, the point where the creativity really happens is when the, or the best way to describe the moment where they come up with the idea is the creative moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's just legacy, right? I think that there's sort of, even before that though, it was the art and copy, wasn't it? Yeah. It wasn't called creative. It was like you guys do art and you guys do copy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then was it like kind of like in the 60s and 70s, they got together and formed teams. I'm not sure what vintage that was, but... Yep. Look, creative, everyone is creative. It's just how they actually apply that creativity. Mm. I mean, I'm, I'm starting to see a big shift in the industry towards that kind of idea that um, there's less creative teams per se and and just the fact that everyone in the agency is creative and i i'm not quite sure how i feel about it um because i've worked in some like hardcore traditional creative agencies that produce great quality creative work um and some agencies that i guess are less um less focused on the the creative idea and just more the fact that everyone in the agency is creative and there is a the output of work is different um one is much more, I feel like I keep saying like creative driven um, and the other is more, mm, it's almost like solution driven. I don't know. Um, I'm not sure which is the best. I don't, do, do you have an opinion? Yeah, I think that there's like a, the, the combination is when it gets really exciting. Yeah. I think okay. that this kind of, this notion of like combining art and science, I think creativity is in never been more important because it creates that kind of, it draws out that emotion in people, right? Happy, scared, sad, whatever that, I find that that comes from great creativity gives you a spike in that emotion, right? But the good solution is integral for what happens after that spike. So you don't want to drive traffic through a great ad to a product which stinks, right? Or you want to make sure that the 
feeling beyond seeing that commercial and being inspired to make the call or visit the website or do all that sort of thing is actually held up beyond the process of seeing the ad moment, be that whatever sort of content that takes. Yeah. So, yeah, the combination of art and science, I think, is integral. Yeah, that's fair. Um, one of the other things that you mentioned in your, your intro, Tommy, was that you work with a lot of startups. Yeah. What does that look like? What, what, what do you do? How do you help them? Um, what startups do you work with? Yeah, sure. I think it's like uh, I was determined. I've always been fascinated with this kind of notion of being able to make something in your garage and turn it into a business and you don't need an office. You don't need all you need is really an idea and generally you can hack something together and be providing value to people pretty quickly. So there's not many excuses for not actually seeing through your idea, certainly into like an MVP version. And that that is alone is enough for sort of being in a creative agency. There are so many ideas floating around. I mean, this is what we do. We draw up ideas and serve them up to our clients. And frankly, through like the first several years of my advertising career, it used to just feel kill me that we were just throwing these ideas in the bin <coughs> after the client wouldn't buy them. So after several years of that frustration, it was just like, fuck it, let's go and make it ourselves. Yeah. So I've had a couple of ventures which, um, well, they didn't really work. They didn't work at all. They're not around today. One was um, Happy Wife, which was an app which sent a reminder to guys two weeks before their wife, girlfriends, mums, sisters, a birthday, anniversary, all that sort of thing, and then produced a curation of gifts. Which Genius. On one tap would come. <laughs> Uh, wrapped with an open card yeah like I really bought into the idea um, because I've got four sisters and a mum and a stepmum and a mother-in-law yeah and I worked out that there was like 26 events across the year I had to buy a present for a female (laughs) so I solved the problem for myself but um, retail's hard and the way that I set up the um, the business there wasn't margins the margins were just too tight Um, and ultimately after sort of on it for, I think it was like nine, 12 months, something like that. I actually just stood back and said, look, it's probably a day a week I'm spending on this thing and it was just paying for itself. Mm. But what's the value of that day in my time? Mm-hmm. Um, is that day the best way I can spend a day a week? Um, and yeah. the, the answer was no. The answer was kind of shelve it and... Uh, move on to something new. So it was a sad day when you shut it down, but at the same time, it was kind of a relief. And that's kind of when the podcast started because I was like, well, what am I going to do with this one day a week? Yep. I didn't have anything on my plate and I couldn't sort of pace around the house or the office. So I needed something and I wanted to do something which wasn't necessarily revenue driven. I was kind of exhausted with forecasts and P&Ls and business models. I just wanted to make something which didn't necessarily have a short-term commercial benefit attached yep. to it. Yeah. Um, before we get on to the, the podcast, we'll, we'll touch on that in a minute. Um, have you had any other startups that, uh, that you've worked on personally that you've started? Um, there's been a number of ones. I've been involved in a few at various stages. I'm involved in one... Um, uh, called Whispertip at the moment, which is an exciting company, which is basically a. I love football and I love pubs, so it was a really good fit for me when the guys came <laughs> and 
um, and they told me about their idea. Um, it's essentially a universal tipping for the publican um, because the pubs are so old school in the way that they deal with customers. They know the customers when they walk in, but they don't have any kind of data or marketing platform to reach them. Um, so these guys at Whispertip have done a really great job at sort of creating the second the second generation of footy tipping or sports tipping. You know, you walk into a pub and they've got that big whiteboard mm. behind the, the bar with all the red crosses next to the footy tipping. Yeah. They've taken that and created a digital version of that, um, which the publican owns the data and can send out um, notifications to different segments of customers and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a really interesting growth plan there where they're going to, um, they've got a roadmap of great features. So it's an exciting business to be part of. Um, again, I'm part of it because I love beer, I love football, I love pubs, I love technology, and I've kind of picked it because of those reasons. Yeah, it's um, I'm I'm their user. Yeah, you know, so <laughs> it's a nice combination. Something that you were talking about before um, set me on a, a bit of a thought tangent, um, which was falling in love with your idea, and you talked about it um, in. Uh, was a happy wife yeah um and you said you solved your own problem and 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 you love the idea but it just wasn't like financially viable to 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 continue to build there's kind of a bit of an inherent risk with startups in general of about falling in love with your idea too much because i think a lot of um uh, a lot of entrepreneurs or people who just have a uh, a side a side business or a side project rather I think a lot of those guys or girls, like they do it, they do it because they want to solve something for themselves. But the the inherent risk is if you're trying to build something that is going to turn into a business, um, if you're too in love with the idea, then it, it might not, you kind of overlook uh, a lot of the, the issues or um, you might not kill it quick enough and those kinds of things have uh, beyond kind of your experience so far has there been other examples of that in the past i reckon that the happy wife is a perfect example of that yeah um i completely agree with you and i think that the you read all the startup books and startup culture a lot of the chat is around never giving up Mm. fighting for your idea you know you're going to have really shit days where investors to say it's not for us i think the idea is no, I'm not investing in that, basically. And you've got to learn to dust yourself off and all that sort of stuff. But sometimes you've got to listen to the voice um, of the customer where it's like no one's uptake is nearly what I thought it would be. Mm. Is there a pivot here or is it worth burying it? Um, it's a really hard chat to have with yourself. I remember a friend um, said, what... Does I was going? I've got this idea. Of, it needs to be an app because the notifications are really important, all that sort of stuff. And his advice was, "What, what does it look like? Challenge yourself to make the app using email, and like just email." So this is an example of me falling in love with the idea and just being completely ignorant. Is I set up the program on email essentially, and there's much automation, much automation and segmentation of customers using email and surveys and all that sort of stuff. And even then, the signs I got back from that validation process was the crowd doesn't think this is a huge problem for them. There are a couple who 
used it. But basically, I, my theory and reflection is that they used it because it was me and they wanted to help out and they were just supporting me personally. But if that connection wasn't there, they would have said, yeah, no, nah, not a problem for me. Mm-hmm. And I still turned my back on that information and went ahead um, and invested money in this thing. Um, and it was just a, like the whole falling in love with your idea is a really thing, a really nasty thing you got to watch out for. Um, and make your ideas disposable. The, uh, you'll always have another idea. Um, and, you know, the, the, that muscle is a really important muscle to exercise when it's, let's walk away from it. Let's think of something else. Let's have one more run at it, see if we can make it better. And if we can't, let's kill it and move on. Yeah. There's, um, there's something inherently difficult about being completely honest with yourself and, and having that self-awareness to, to look in the mirror and, and actually acknowledge when something's not working, whether it be a startup or a life decision, a relationship, a job, a hobby, whatever. Sometimes you've got to make that call because there is an opportunity cost to everything in life. You know, you only have 24 hours in a day. Yeah. So, you, you touched on it before. How you spend that is actually like really tough. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of people go through their life um, letting the world dictate those 24 hours for them rather than kind of sitting down and go and, and making a, an objective decision about whether they want to continue this project or this whatever. So, um, so yeah. The other thing that I was just thinking about um, as you're telling that story was uh, I have a friend of mine who's got a startup and, uh, and I, I kind of pitched them this idea um, for a different, a different startup that I was potentially going to work on. And they were like, yeah, like it's, it's good. It seems like it's a, a decent idea. But um, I probably wouldn't use it. Um, and what you need to do to kind of dispel whether this is an idea that you're in love with or an idea whether where it could go somewhere is, um, you know, ask 10 people and you need to get, you know, eight of them saying, fuck yeah, this is great. I would pay you money for it. And unless you get, you know, eight out of those 10 saying, I will give you X dollars for this, it's, it's, not, worth, it's not worth doing because... Yeah, it might be an idea that solves a problem, but not enough to turn into a business. Yeah. And there's also, is asking the question enough? Like, I think when you ask someone, would you pay for this? They'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, cool. Give me the money. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then I reckon you're going to have 50% more drop off as well. Yeah. Do you know? So there's a real, there's there's a good survey to do, but be, be cautious of the throwaway. Yeah, I'd pay for it. It's like, can you actually extract? currency out of these people yeah that's the real test and and even from like friends and family who i assume are going to be your your initial sounding board um saying hey give me give me 10 bucks for this idea like they're probably going to be your most engaged audience and if you can't get exactly 10 bucks out of those guys Mm -hmm. then that you do have to have a real honest conversation like startups uh, what i think about is awesome about startups is they can go and solve a problem for a small group of people you know, like niche is okay in the startup world. If this is a really big, hairy problem for a small group of people, it's still a worthy venture to go and try and solve it for them. So you could solve a small problem that lawyers have over lunch, mm-hmm. do you know, and that's kind of your market or um, various other things. So I think that like it doesn't necessarily need to be 
a mass idea. You don't need to pick 10 people at random. If you find 10 people who are your potential customers yeah, and they say yes and then they reach for their wallet and say they'll give you a fiver for the idea, then you're onto something interesting as well. So who you ask is another sort of um, axis on that graph you need to yeah. tick off. And, and if they're lawyers, I'd be asking for maybe a, a 500 rather than a fiver. <laughs> <laughs> So let's let's move on to uh, to one of the other um, projects that you're working on, uh, the podcast. Tell me about Future Sandwich. So Future Sandwich is sort of just uh, it really has been a, an experiment of mine, which is kind of still I treat like an experiment. Um, it's a podcast which started out as was going to be an interview like this. Yep. I was going to meet someone and have a sandwich with them. Um, and I collated two or three interviews with people um, and found they, the people ranged from um, Nick Hodges was one of the first one, the head of innovation at News Corp, Steve Sammartino, who's a mate of mutual friend of ours, yep. uh, author of um, The Great Fragmentation, and he's a speaker as well. Uh, and then I met with, I went to America and interviewed a couple of agency people over there and I found we were talking about the same topics. And so I thought, well, from a user's perspective, is it better for me to, is it more interesting if I just basically highlight topics and cluster them together and I have several people talking in one episode about a theme um, as opposed to today we're interviewing Nick, as opposed to I've got four great people talking about driverless cars, let's just talk about driverless cars for an episode. Mm. So I threw out the model of let's just do an interview and have a sandwich with people to go and basically do episodes around topics. Yep. And also the sandwich I found was kind of, it was awkward. A lot of people were like quite uncomfortable with eating on a microphone. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, having having done the, uh, the podcast experiment myself and uh, listening to my voice on repeat um, more times than, than uh, I ever thought that I would in my life, I can understand how um, eating close to a microphone is maybe not a desirable sound to be... Uh... Yeah, and it just wasn't... It kind of came from um, Jerry... Jerry's comedians in cars having coffee type thing where yeah. it was just one more ingredient which kind of gave the show structure. Yep. But it wasn't adding value um, to the conversation. If anything, it was kind of distracting. Um, yep. The guest felt like they had to eat it. And Did, did, did you bring the, sam- the sandwich? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I bought the sandwich. Uh, and what did, you, was- what did you feed your guests? Nick Hodges and I made toasties in a boardroom. Yeah. That was good, man. I mean, Nick's... I could eat... I could have given Nick anything and he would have been still <laughs> talking um, with such, like, passion about anything. Um, we're, we're getting but, real behind the curtain of Future Sandwich here. Here we are. Oh, come come back. There's a few good stories. The um, Steve Sammartino is a germaphobe, so he wasn't into it. <laughs> um <laughs> And I ate fish tacos um, at uh, Soho House in LA. And um, like it was good. It was all right. But at the same time, I was just really... The user ultimately on the other side of the podcast wanted to hear great conversation. Mm. And I 
eliminated that from the format because it was just getting in the way of a great tra- chat. Sure. Um, and uh, so I um, bolted together a few episodes uh, and just pressed upload. Um, and it's been really good, man. I'm building like a really great community of people who are into it. Yeah. Um, it's a great show. Thank you, dude. I appreciate that. It's um, it's fun. I think from my perspective, I've got a blog post sitting there drafted, ready to go. The things I've learned from doing the podcast, I'll see if I can remember them. One is just the notion of the only way you can really understand it is to try it and immerse yourself in it. And I thought podcasts was a really mysterious kind of media universe. It kind of didn't follow the same rules as any other sort of ecosystem of content on the web. Um, it's very intimate, right? Yeah, it's intimate and and, and uh, it's still I hate ads on podcasts. I kind of will never, you'll never hear an ad on Future Sandwich, by the way. That's, that's an official statement. <laughs> and in this case, you can say never. Um, <laughs> so you'll never hear an ad. Um, the other, it is intimate. I think um, there's a little anecdote of uh, like it's kind of your, it's a real privilege you're sort of sitting in someone's ear. Yeah. And you've got to be quite conscious of that. You don't, um, it's not like a radio show or any other channel where it's a bit bit shouty. It's, it's definitely quiet, one-on-one time. It's very personal. Um, another thing I learned was kind of the art of like storytelling and a narrative and stitching together multiple conversations and insights and statements to form a an arc is a real challenge um but it's a fun challenge like i certainly feel like um that's where the most effort comes from the research part is great i think um i enjoy the research part because selfishly i want to find out more about um Shit, what are the topics we've covered? Driverless cars, Bitcoin, VR, AI, 3D printing, advertising. There's another one in there which I can't remember right now. But each of them I wanted to immerse myself in and find out more about. So it's just as much an endeavor for me to go, oh, this is interesting. Maybe I'll do an episode on that. Um, and then just trusting that my listeners will enjoy that as well. Um, I think... Uh, no one in podcasting really knows what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, I think that it's... I all, don't. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's good. I, I mean, I heard a, um, a great interview with a friend of mine, Ben Birchall, whose a podcast is Ingridopedia, and he interviewed some of the guys from Gimlet yeah. on, at Wheeler Centre, and they were confessing they don't know what else is yeah. what, what's up as well. I went to that event. It was yeah, great. Right. It was yeah. good, wasn't it? Yeah. So, Ben just sits outside here. Yeah. And it was fascinating to me, like I listened to startup podcasts and went through the whole Gimlet journey of season one and was yep. like a complete fanboy going, what a fantastic story that was and yep. just a brilliant podcast and Alex and those guys, fuck, I, I, like you guys are the poster boys of podcasts, yeah. but when you actually talk to them about <laughs> the realities of being in the studio and then nothing out and uh, researching what the stories are, they don't... They're not necessarily perfect at that, but certainly what was the big one was the commercial side of producing a podcast. No one can really create scale mm. um, at the moment uh, on the podcast platform. 
I mean, we've had serial and we've had some blockbuster hits like that, but it hasn't made $100 million for anyone. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's a bit just like publishing gen- in general at the moment. Like, to make money in publishing, you've just got to generate a shitload of reach and get a huge amount of downloads or hits or, or, or whatever uh, because the, the click-through rates and the CPM... Um, which is cost per 1,000 impressions uh, for those not in the industry. Um, the CPM rates on advertising are just so low that, like, you just need huge scale to be able to generate any money. Yeah, which comes um, back to the point around why, God, the ad products at the moment, they just don't work. Mm. No one looks at banners. I mean, they've got the concept of banner blindness where... Yeah, or ad blocking. Ad, yeah, I mean, ad blocking is a big one and... Um, I think that people are doing whatever they can. Like, this is like the rise of on demand because it's ad free. I'll pay 99 cents to watch something without ads in it, mm-hmm. without question. Would you pay 99 cents for each episode of my podcast? I would, man. Get your wallet out. All right. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is the bit, right? This is the bit where you have big moment. I'll buy five, I'll buy five episodes. <laughs> there you go. You know. Let's see what I got here. I'm sifting through my wallet here, guys. Here you go. I'll buy, five. I'll buy five episodes. Tommy has just placed five dollars on 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 the table here to to buy five episodes of Mate ad free. There you go. I won't guarantee that every episode will be ad free, but the next five will. I promise you that. That's all right. You can just cut one and send me the MP3. Okay, just right. for me. <laughs> Interestingly, I had a. Uh, this was like so flattering and so awesome, but um, a woman from like somewhere like in Cincinnati or somewhere like random sent me an email going hey uh, can you send me your bank details I'd like to just put some money in your account I was like <laughs> what do you mean what, uh, what's going on she goes I just love the show and I just want to make sure you keep doing it are you being supported Yeah. do you need some money and I was like I've designed the workflow so there's zero outgoings I'll tell you what you can do you can just share it for me and she's like okay cool and I was kind of <laughs> Press send on that going, damn it, how much money was she talking about? You didn't, you didn't, you weren't curious to find out? No, kind of like fans, you like fans like that. There's probably only like 10 of them on, on the planet. Sure, who, but maybe she's like some rich Nigerian, exactly, Nigerian, Nigerian who, who can, who can, you know, give I, you $10,000 or something. No, no, no. She, she wasn't asking for my bank details. She was basically going, how can I? get some money to you. I think she yeah. was fantastic. And the way she worded it, I knew she'd listen to it because she was referring to little nuggets inside. But she... Um, that's a really She shared story. it everywhere, but it was really surprising to go think, oh, well, that's that was the biggest sign um, that uh, that's, it's, something's going right. Do you find before you share an episode that you have the whole, oh, this is a shit one? Yeah. This is the every, one. Every, every single episode. What do we call that? It's got to have a name. It's like kind of pre-launch anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but I still suffer from that every time. I'm yeah. like, fuck, you've, you've, nah, this could be better. And it's like, you've done three edits of it, dude. Just press send. I mean, that happened yeah. to me last night. Like, uh, I was... It, it's not just the, the audio. It's, it's all the accompanying pieces of it as well. So, yeah. I spend a lot of time on my podcast with the production quality of my intro and outro. Yeah. Um, as well as the, the show notes that accompany the show. So, I, I, I'm probably quite rare uh, 
as opposed to other podcasters where I will produce really detailed show notes. Um, and I'll probably spend an hour or so um, actually writing up show notes and links to, um, so, you know, from today's episode, I'm going to link to things like MVP. Um, for the people who don't know what MVP is, it's minimum viable product and it's a kind of startup methodology. Um, so I'll, uh, I'll link that in the show notes of today's episode. Um, so I, I kind of uh, spend a lot of time packaging the podcast, but I get a huge amount of anxiety around that. Cause, and, and the other challenge is I'm a perfectionist, um, huge, huge perfectionist. So, uh, knowing that there's potentially a typo somewhere or something just absolutely freaks me out. Yeah. And, you know, I always double, triple check things and, yeah. um, sometimes I see that as a, a bit of a weakness cause I'm not able to move quickly enough, uh, but in some respects, it's also a, a strength as well because it means the quality of work that I put out is always um, super, super, super great. Yeah. So um, it's good, man. But like you just, I was talking to Ben the other day. It's like every time I release an episode, I find all episodes get listened to again. Yeah. Do you know? So yeah, the, the back, uh, the, the backlog get gets gets another run. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which to me means a new listener. Yep. Which is great, but. You've got to just get better over time and have that approach as opposed to sitting there essentially like pushing pixels as a designer would say. You just have to get good at just going, cool, done, let's go, move on to the next one, it's okay. Um, and I think that's what got me into podcasting is I'd listen to podcasts in the top 10 and the editor's choice and stuff and I kind of thought to myself, it's like, good, nah, it's not like... I reckon, I reckon I could like sort of do something which got close or matched yep. some of these podcasts, and that was feels like the bar is definitely going up. Production and celebrity um, and media dollars are flooding into the podcast world. Like, uh, you know, you go through the top ten now. You've got Alec Baldwin, Malcolm Gladwell, fuck, like Leonard Dunham. All these like proper beautiful writers and incredible presenters moving into the podcast world um so yeah that i think that's like short-lived yeah that time sort of 12 months well, ago when i was it's good to get in now right like at <laughs> exactly. ground level so that you can yeah. be there when when the huge influx starts to come yeah um like, I mean, uh, PJ Vote, who's one of the co-hosts of Reply All, that event you were talking about that yeah. Ben Birchall hosted um, about a month or two ago. Which there's videos of that on YouTube. At the yes, I'll link it in the show notes. Uh, one of the things that PJ spoke about was wanting, uh, he said that, you know, there's a, there's a, quite a tight um, podcast community in New York um, and they knew that Sarah Koenig was working on Serial as it was being developed and they they knew it was going to be great. They knew it was going to be massive. Um, So they were developing their new show with Gimlet, which is called Reply All. It hadn't launched yet at that time and they were saying, you know, we were just like racing to get the show live because we wanted to be there when Serial hit. Um, we, we didn't necessarily want to beat cereal, uh, to the punch, but we just wanted to be there because, you know, it's like the, the, the rising tides, um, elevate all, all the ships or whatever that yeah, saying is. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was just kind of a really interesting insight. Uh, and, and I think this is going to continue to happen as more and more podcasts, um, start to, to blow up and more people get into this medium. I mean, it's, it's a great, uh, media format where it's, you know, completely on demand, um, and uh, and and what I love about podcasting is that you can 
you can do it in your downtime. You can listen in your downtime um, or when you're you're doing other things. So on your commute while you're mowing the lawns, um, driving somewhere, doing the dishes, laundry. Like I listen to podcasts when I'm brushing my teeth. Like all those kind of moments where I would just normally be doing nothing, I fill with like knowledge and inspiration now, which which I love. So that's why I love always on your headphones, or do you put it like when you're brushing your teeth? Is that a little um, like Beats pill? In the no, no, it's, <laughs> it's just on loudspeaker on the iPhone. You're so, right. and I listen on um, on about one point nine times speed um, yeah. to most of my podcasts yeah, right. as well. Wow! So, because I've I listen. Make to, you anxious that? I'll no, oh man, I need a break after like a couple of minutes. Even on like one point two or something, I think the lowest sitting is. Uh, you, yeah, you're you're not a de- you're not a hardcore podcaster until you're on like at least one point seven five. Yeah, All right, <laughs> how can score. you even look yourself in the mirror, Tommy? Yeah, um, uh, I think like there's certain podcasts I'll listen to on like I I will religiously listen to on one time speed. Yeah, um, and those what's are an the, example of that? Like Reply All, yeah. um, Startup, uh, This American Life, like those those very narrative driven. Um, Stories, even yourself, um, future sandwich. I, I can't remember what the setting is I've got for that, but it's it's definitely not really high because the the ones that are more narrative and and you're talking about it before that arc driven um, way of presenting, mm. um, I like to follow that. I, I think when when a producer has put a lot of time into the um, the production quality of an episode, I want to listen to the way it was intended to be listened mm. to. Whereas if it's just an interview style show. I can race through that because I know generally the topics that they're talking about at a high level. Mm-hmm. Um, so I listen to, for example, This Week in Tech, um, and I, that's a two-hour episode a week. Um, so I race through that on two times speed because I know generally what they're talking about, but yeah. it enables me to get through it a bit quicker. So, yeah. So, um, so yeah, just to kind of um, shift gears a little bit or, or go back to something you were saying before, when you're talking about Future Sandwich at the, at the start here, you talked about treating it as an experiment. What do you mean by that? Oh, it's kind of protecting, if you boil it down, it's kind of protecting my ego from being hit by failure, I suppose. <laughs> you know, as long as you call it an experiment, it's okay if it breaks. But if you say this is a... Look, I, I, no, that's not entirely true. I treat it like an experiment because I l- let the crowd dictate what happens next with it. Mm-hmm. I think that I take feedback really seriously from the listeners and the feedback really does inform actually what the next episode or the next theme or even, um, you know, how I talk. Do I stand in the booth or do I want to do it from a cafe next time? Do you know, I think that yeah. I'm not professing to know what I'm doing at all. Um and as long as I approach it with the methodology of this is an experiment, this can fail. But when it fails, make sure that you, um, it's kind of like what um, production and agency people call agile. It's like you've just got to be responsive to what's working and what's not um, and adapt, right? And as long as you're in experimental mode, you're constantly looking at all the parts and the pieces and the players going, you know, that bit was a bit shit. Or even when I listened to it, I lost concentration. Or, you know, it was a bit noisy when I was doing that part. And you've got to always be willing to um, 
dial up the bits that are working and dial down the bits that aren't. Um, and the only way you can find that is by experimenting and pushing out and seeing mm. what the crowd thinks. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. Um, another thing that I was going to ask you about, um, something you mentioned before was learning by doing. Mm. And I, I think I experienced a very similar thing with, with my foray into podcasting. I was like, hey, there's this thing that I love. Um, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I reckon I could do one. There's kind of a niche that... Um, there's some topics that I feel like aren't kind of being addressed, particularly in an Australian sense. Uh, so I'm going to make my own podcast. Um, and I, I planned this podcast. This is a pull, pull behind the curtain for mates, but I, I planned this podcast for probably two years before I hit go. Um, just because I was, I was kind of stymied by fear or by lack of knowledge or by, by whatever. Um, and, as a perfectionist, I really struggled to uh, to actually launch anything before I felt it was perfect. So, um, there's a, a joke that um, Ethan Didaskalu uh, has with me. Uh, if you want to listen to his show, I think it's number two. Yeah. Um, where he, he he said I had a, a brand guidelines document for my logo usage before I even had a, an episode. And that is entirely true. I've got a friend of mine who designed the logo for this show. Uh, and like, I, I was like, cool, great logo. Can you chuck it in a PDF and just tell me what fonts and stuff? And I, I literally had a, a style guide before I had a show. Um, so it, 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 but, but you do, you only learn by doing. So just to kind of come back to that topic, I, I thought that I had this vision for what the show was going to be. And I started to, design it and, and, and I ran a few interviews having no fucking clue what I was doing. In these offices, uh, in fact, here, just that room across the hall was where Jaden and me recorded the first show. And um, I didn't want to say it at the time, but um, I was shitting myself. I didn't know what I was doing. And Jaden was a bit uh, apprehensive and nervous too, so I didn't say anything because I didn't want to throw him off. But like in both of our well, minds... Jaden's weird at the best of times, <laughs> all right? So yeah. uh, we love Jaden. So like... It, I think in both of our heads, we were just like shit scared, didn't know what we were doing. But like- <laughs> I've got to listen to this episode. This sounds like a good episode. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a great episode. Like it actually came out really well. So I, I went in. I didn't even know how to set the mic up. Um, I, I pressed go. I recorded. Yeah. And then I sat on that <clears throat> recording for a year before I released it. So like there was just huge gaps. And, and had I had my time again, I would have just- um, got into it quicker and tried to experiment quicker because, again, to, to go back to what I was talking about, you only learn by doing. So, like, I learned how to set up the microphone from actually just recording an interview. And I was like, oh, cool. So, there's this thing called gain control. I need to, like, change that next time. And um, then I edited it and I was like, oh, okay, that was kind of challenging, but now I know how to do that for next time. And then, like, I figured out how to set up my RSS feed and upload to iTunes and all that stuff, right? But you only, like... You can watch as many YouTube videos and read as many guides and talk to as many people as you want, but you only know how to do it and can do it by doing it. And also, there's an immense amount of satisfaction that comes with um, doing something that you thought was impossible um, or that, that's actually quite challenging. Yeah. Um, so, there's a huge amount of fulfillment that I get from this podcast just looking at it now in, in the iTunes store going... I created this show that that like people listen to. There was a great moment recently, actually, where um, someone reached out to me on uh, on Facebook and was like, "Hey, like I, I listen to your show. Um, you know, I love it." And I'm like, clicking on their profile, zero mutual friends, and I'm going, "This is fantastic! Like somebody who I do not know listens mm. to my voice. Mm. That's that's like a really weird concept." Um, 
so, so that was like you know quite fulfilling and yeah. and yeah um so I, mean, I wanted to ask about the uh the, the success of future sandwich so you got featured on itunes new and noteworthy and yep. then subsequently you also got a feature in uh itunes editors picks yeah um and i think a couple of things that probably go towards that is you know your, your great show artwork um really well produced show great content you had um quite a few five-star reviews thought you had the perfect storm of things happening um mm. it's a great show thank you so I wanted to ask, like, what, what's what's that journey been like? Have like, do you keep track of stats? How's the show performing? That kind of thing. Yeah, I think um, I think it's like it's one of those things that I've been involved in a lot of things where it hasn't worked, and I think it's nice to see this one working modestly, um, like certainly exceeding my expectations of consistent people tuning in and listening. Yeah. Um, the day of releasing an episode is a really exciting day. You know, you're kind of getting a couple of thousand listens in a day, which has sort of exceeded any of my expectations altogether. Yeah. Um, and as you say, you're hearing from people from completely different walks of life. If you go into the SoundCloud analytics, you can see all around the world people are listening to the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a really sort of satisfying and inspiring sort of thing to see. It motivates you to go, obviously go on and keep making more. Yep. And I wasn't actually expecting it. I remember the day or the week I launched Happy Life, I was getting press and I won a um, the TechCrunch pitch off in New York with Happy Life. Um, I was going on Shark Tank and I remember coming home going, I've had zero sales. Right. You know, and the sales was the bit that I really cared about. Mm. When I was having all this great press and my friends were like seeing, you know, the TechCrunch write up and, you know... Um, uh, knew that I was going on Shark Tank and all this sort of stuff, but it was like the bit that mattered was seeing a sale. So to see a listen is the equivalent of seeing a sale, mm. you know. Um, and so to get new and noteworthy was really flattering, and then to be an editor's pick, I think, is um, is a really sort of privileged position to be in there. I'm in pretty impressive company yep. in that category there. And the artwork as well is something I, I sort of didn't. It wasn't an oversight that. I chose that kind of loud orange purely because when you graze through the app store, there's a lot of white and pale blue and black and that sort of thing. I was like, what's a color which isn't really yeah. used a lot? So that was intentionally um, chosen. Yep. Um, and then getting the ratings in the first couple of episodes was something important to do because I just found out that was currency. Yeah. So that was um, an important thing to do. But, you know, I haven't asked for um, like 29 out of the 32. No, I'm joking. I've, I can't remember. I don't even know which ones are organic or which nots. But yeah. Um, I think you, you need to do the hard work if you want to promote your podcast at the start mm. and get yourself off on the right foot. Consider your artwork. Get family and friends to rate you up and listen and give you feedback. It's not just about the rating. You want them to rate because they really rate it. Mm. Um, and also just be okay to share and self-promote. I think self-promotion is one of those things that I, people would go, you don't struggle with that. But self-promoting is hard. Yeah. Do you know, like you kind of, some days you're just like, oh, God, everyone must be so sick of me on Instagram sharing yeah. this bloody... Oh, another episode. Fuck. 
unfollow. Yeah. You know what I mean? But thankfully, people don't. Yeah. People don't. Um, it's just this kind of this fear and this um, voice that, you know, tells you to um, not keep doing what you um, believe is doing or difficult. Yep. So, we've got about 10 minutes left um, and I had a couple final questions. Sure. So, let's just maybe powwow through these, do like a, a, a three-minute on, on each. The first is, what's exciting you about tech right now? I think VR is definitely exciting me at the moment. I feel like it's kind of really hitting its strides. Over the past couple of years, the technology felt great, not phenomenal. Um, the content certainly is taking a long time to kind of catch up to that. Mm. Um, and from my perspective, it's not like one of my clients using it and all their customers using it. It's just about this whole new immersive media which is available to us now. Yep. Gaming, storytelling is the bit that I'm really excited about. Um, and the whole notion of us all having Oculus um, or any others um, in our living room, in our living rooms, and being able to connect with people in this virtual world, and it just being a sensational experience. Um, I feel like we're just hitting our strides. Um, there feels like there's been a big leap in VR over the past twelve months, and it's just starting to come into the market now. Um, as I say, both from a tech perspective and from a game um, content perspective, I think uh, I get really uh, inspired when you put the headset on people for the first time. They yeah. haven't really been in there. And I think that yeah. even the experience they're having is, um, you know, if you put Vive on and you can kind of step around and get down on your knees and look up and down and move around, it's significantly different and we're going to start seeing some great leaps in uh, innovation there. Mm. You know, the first person to mention VR is uh, is something that's exciting them. So I, I, uh, I, there's a bit of a pattern here. I think I might need to get a, a VR expert on the show. I don't know who. I can help uh, you out with that. That would be wonderful. There's a um, a great VR shop called Start VR out of Sydney. Yeah, and talk to Kane, the CEO there. He's great. Awesome. Mm. Um, the the second last thing I wanted to ask you was, what's overrated in tech right now? I think uh, I think the performance of advertising. Um, I think that's a billion dollar industry and it's got a lot to answer for as far as its, as far as its effectiveness yep. um, and the amount of money spent on stuff like display advertising um, ads across platforms Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, etc. I still think if brands take a portion of their money and apply it to creating content and experiences that are driven by earned media. Um, I think uh, they'd get a much better result. Yes, it might take a bit longer to get there and they don't have the luxury of getting eyeballs. I just question how valuable those eyeballs really are. Hmm. So I think that ad products in tech are overrated. Yep, I couldn't agree more. And then finally, who should I interview next on Mate? You've interviewed Samma? No, Samer is uh, is on the on the schedule. He's haven't, great. Haven't had a chat with him yet, though. Yeah, I think um, I would interview Nick Hodges. Is great as well, head of innovation for News Corp. Yep, he's a ripper. 
uh, Ben Birchall, who's out here. I can come and introduce you to yep. if you haven't already met him before. Uh, so Ben's podcast is uh, Ingridopedia. Another interesting guy is Ben Keenan, who works at our kind of sister agency, Clemenger BBDO. Mm-hmm. Uh, at Warm Cola, he is on Twitter. Um, <laughs> look, there's there's four people that'll definitely keep you occupied. Um, Love it. I just noticed that they're all guys. Um, I think there's there's a girl called Harriet Ray who's really interesting who works here as well. She's part um, agitator, tech creator. Mm-hmm. Uh, part philosopher <laughs> and she's British and she um, ran a startup from a beach in Thailand um, and she's got a great story yeah talk to her she's good awesome I do uh, I do need to get some more female presence on the show I think um, so that's uh, that'd be really helpful mm. Tommy thanks for coming on the show today no worries pleasure much appreciate it Thanks for listening to Mate Podcast. This was episode number eight. For the show notes, which include all the links and resources from today's episode, head to the website matepodcast.com slash eight. Now, a few shout outs. Firstly, to our guest, Tommy McCubbin, for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Editing help for today was provided by Morgan Dunn. Our logo was by Courtney Carmen, and our music was by Nine Inch Nails, used under a Creative Commons license. To keep tabs on the next episode of Mate, follow us on Twitter or on Facebook at Mate Podcast. And if you'd like to give the show a virtual high five, you can leave us a review on iTunes. There's a quick link that'll get you there. It's matepodcast.com slash iTunes. Finally, if you have a guest suggestion for the show, please send me an email, adam at matepodcast.com. This was Made Podcast and it was made with love and dedication in Melbourne, Australia. I'm your host, Adam Jaffrey, and this was a Jaffrey product. We'll see you next time, mate. So who are you and what do you do? My name is Tommy McCubbin. It reminds me of that kindergarten line there. Who is your daddy? <laughs> <laughs> uh...